Hi, everybody. My name is Fran Curry, and welcome to another edition of Eavesdrop. We're so glad you're joining us today. We're part of Big Brains Media, and you can find us at bigbrainsmedia.com. You can also go to iTunes where you can find us. The best thing for you to do, though, so you don't ever miss an edition of Eavesdrop, is to subscribe, and it'll be downloaded into the uh, device of your choosing. We talk about all sorts of issues here, issues that uh, affect the human experience, especially as it pertains to women. And one of those issues that, um, as a girl, I deal with and all women deal with, and it is that threat of breast cancer. But today we're talking to a breast cancer survivor, a survivor who um, surprised, I think, a lot of people, because I, I met her for the first time today with her youth and uh, having to deal with such a thing at a young age. Rochelle, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So um, I met you, like I said, the first time today I walk in and, and I think we all have blinders on and expectations of the age of a person who has dealt with something as horrific as cancer, but especially breast cancer. Tell us a, a little bit about how you found out you had breast cancer and how old were you when this happened to you? At the time I was 28 years old, my son had been five for maybe two weeks, maybe a few weeks. But anyway, so I felt a lump in my chest and it was a lot higher than what I would anticipate a lump being. But I sort of rationalized it and thought that perhaps it was a milk duct from when I had nursed my son years before that or something. But anyway, I went and had it checked immediately. And um, when the doctor started the exam, she pressed on my breast and blood shot out of my nipple and I remember looking at her face and she definitely looked startled which surprised me because she's a doctor and they don't usually show emotion (laughs) and uh, I my stomach kind of dropped and I thought "Mm, this probably isn't very good yeah so um, that happened that morning at the doctor that's right and um, so what did your doctor do from that point what type of um how did she lead into the subject that she needed to do more tests and what this actually could be? She definitely tried to keep me from freaking out, but she said, you know, asked me what I was doing for the rest of the day, and I told her whatever she told me to do is what I was going to do. <laughs> so I went and had um, a mammogram, an ultrasound, and a biopsy, and all of that was interesting and, and a little bit traumatic in and of itself. Yes, And I think... You know, I knew in my gut that it was, but it wasn't confirmed until the next day that it was advanced stages of breast cancer. And I think because I was 28, it was just a a complete shock to everybody around me, including myself. Yeah, I bet it was. And we'll go back to that in a second. When you first felt the lump, and even before that, had you ever for a second Thought, or did you have any other kinds of symptoms that, or that you just didn't feel well before this? Not really. I've, I've always been very healthy, and I'm, you know, I don't say I work out religiously, but I definitely take care of myself. And um, But I had always had dense tissue in my breast before that, which is just, you know, kind of mm-hmm. cyst. And so I was familiar with that and regularly would kind of keep an eye on it and when something would change I would go in and get it checked out well so I just assumed that this was 
something along those lines uh, and that I would go in and get it checked out and they would say it's nothing but at least we have it noted and checked you know so if something changes but this one was just different than that and so it just sort of changed the course of everything really yeah so you were 28 at the time Mm -hmm. boy just a baby Mm -hmm. Uh, as Oprah calls it the age of reckoning (laughs) the age where we figure out stuff and start to grow up and things like that and you you had one child at the time or right just one Maxwell and I was a single mom since he was um, a little over a year old and so there was a whole lot of dynamics there and I was self-employed so it was Mm -hmm. it was definitely tricky it was definitely a tricky time to sort of balance everything and figure out how I was going to make it all work. So were your parents involved with your life at that point? Or or how, where did you find the support system that it takes to go through cancer? I had um, an aunt who was 47 when she died of breast cancer. And so that's my age now. And so we're already looking at looking for symptoms and looking for lumps and making sure we get the mammogram done. But I even at 47, I have an extraordinary support system. So how did you handle that? And and what was your support system? What did it look like? Well, it was definitely an army of people. Mm -hmm. Um, My family doesn't live where I live. um, So they weren't able really to help very much. Um, But I have my church community and my friends, just my girlfriends. And I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot imagine surviving life without my girlfriends. So The day I was diagnosed, this is no exaggeration, about 15 of my friends showed up in my living room, and they just took over. Wow, that's great. One was planning, you know, meal schedules. The other was planning who was going to clean my bathroom. The others were planning, you know, all sorts of aspects of my life. And because I was so overwhelmed, I just let them do it. (laughs) Yeah, and that's what it takes. And it takes us or the person who was ill giving up just giving giving up control and letting them do that for you and that's hard to do it is very very hard to do and you said you were self-employed what kind of business did you have i would think that that would be daunting yeah well i do bookkeeping and i have about you know 15 to 20 clients at the time i was just starting out i had just left my full-time job four months before that oh my goodness so um anyway i just sort of cut back and um just I can't even tell you from all the sources of people that helped um, church, family, friends, family, you know, people would just find out needs that we had. Maybe they would pay my car payment for a month or buy us groceries or something like that. It, it was kind of embarrassing at first because it just felt like, you know, somebody would drop a bag of groceries on our front steps. And I was just I didn't know how to really take that because I'm kind of proud, you know, and I work hard and just. But I felt like that was amazing, and I learned quickly to just, it takes so much courage for people to take things from people. Yes, it does. And and accept it, and not feel like they have to do something in return. And so um, I just started saying a lot of thank yous and writing a lot of thank you notes. Mm -hmm. I understand the power of the thank you note is, yes, is handwritten huge, note. As I'm telling you, the last six years of my life since uh, I was laid off from my TV job, I understand that and and the power of uh, the thank you note. And uh, in a book I have coming out later this year, one of the stories is called "The Win Dixie Nickel," because at that point when you realize exactly how broke you are and you need to go to the grocery store yourself, how you have to budget. And I got to the checkout line, and so I thought I to the pennies you know and had my little discount card and I was a nickel short 
And the girl looked at me and she said, don't worry about it. Everybody mm-hmm. needs a nickel from somebody sometimes. So I know what you mean. And especially when you've been a hard worker. And if I, I understand that you are and, and I have been. And when you can't do that, it requires a lot of give up, not just to the people around you, but a lot of give up to God. I can imagine that after you were diagnosed, you had some interesting conversations with God. Oh, man, did I. <laughs> mm. I remember sitting on my porch, you know, it was a Thursday, May 12th of 2005 that I went through all of those appointments, you know, the the MRI and the ultrasound and the biopsy. But it wasn't until Friday, May 13th <laughs> that of I all days. got the call from the general surgeon that said she needed to see me. Well, obviously, <laughs> that's not the call that you want. <laughs> exactly. So I sat on my porch before I went in. One of my friends had come and picked up Max so that I could, you know, focus. And I talked to God. And I just basically told him, like, I don't get why you see so much in me that you think that I could take something like this. And mm-hmm. I do believe that that he that he believes that about me. Mm-hmm. I knew that he believed that I would take it and use it for good. Right. I knew that. Exactly. I knew that he believed that I could could get through it no matter, you know, what the outcome was. But I just wish that he didn't believe that, you know. <laughs> So much. And I know exactly what you mean. Like, really, God. So I just decided, you know, well, okay. I mean, I'm not excited about it, but it, I mean, I talk to God just like I'm talking to you right now. It was yeah. just like, well, you know, I don't want this, but I guess if I have to do it, then I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And this wasn't exactly how I saw things playing <laughs> out, but all right, here we go. And then I just went in and they told me I had cancer and it just kind of just started comes at you <laughs> just comes at you fast so after you found out on the 13th the friday the 13th mm-hmm. that you ate cancer and um i like how you talk to god because that's how i talk to him we'll be driving probably driving down the road and said really are I, you serious people probably think i'm a crazy person because i <laughs> talk to him just like that like really god and we have good shower conversations oh, yeah. too. shower is a great place to talk to god absolutely so after that Friday the 13th meeting with the surgeon. What Take us through the next few weeks. What happened with you after that? Um, it was determined that the cancer was pretty far along. It was stage 2B, so it's not quite stage 3. Stage 3 would be it had moved to my lymph nodes. So there was a blessing in that it yes. was contained completely to my right breast, but it had consumed my right breast. So the plan of action was um, to remove my breasts immediately and to start chemotherapy. And, I mean, it's the most just whiplash comes to mind because it just happened so fast. Within a month of that diagnosis, Mm -hmm. my breasts were removed and I had started chemo and I had been given a shot to put my ovaries to sleep. And it's like you don't really have time to... To process each individual thing because you're just trying to, you know, get through that day and, and um, you know, having your breast removed is a big surgery. I mean, just physically, it's yeah, a big surgery. That is huge. I remember when I woke up and I looked down, it was just the most surreal. I just kept staring down at my chest because it was just flat, like nothing was there. And I just don't think our brains are made to <laughs> comprehend. <laughs> I, I think there's only so much we can comprehend, and I just couldn't. I'm kind of glad I couldn't fully get it, you know, because yeah. I just. And to this day, eight years later, nine reconstructive surgeries, 
I still don't look in the mirror and think, wow. I mean, it's still it's something I still process, right. you know such an intimate part of who we are as women you know? exactly and it's not a it's not a vanity issue no at all because by that point you were thinking i want to live yeah i needed to be there for maxwell and and you know what just to i just didn't think god was done with me you know i just mm-hmm. thought that there was more people for me to love on and you know more things for me to do more mistakes for me to make and learn from more hey <laughs> <Amen>, man sister <laughs> more of everything you know yeah. but i just kind of determine i guess it's a win-win situation you know if i don't survive then maxwell will go on without me and god will take care of him and and if i if i do survive then i get to take care of him so and either way i mean i had a lot of selfish thoughts come into my mind i'm not gonna lie (laughs) just about wanting to be here you know for max i think in crises maybe we all see how selfish we are I had no idea how selfish I was until I was pressed to the nth degree mm-hmm. because I always thought that, you know, I was so, so giving. And what I finally saw was that, oh, that trip to the beach for 15 people doesn't count mm-hmm. for, for my goodness, quote unquote, because it was something that I wanted to do. Yep. Being selfless is that thing that you wish you had never gone through, but mm-hmm. still seeing God. Mm-hmm. at the end of it mm-hmm. is it how how it feels for you definitely and immediately i uh in sort of my coping mechanism i started looking for ways to help other people that were going mm-hmm. through it i had this amazing army of people like 200 300 people i'm not even joking wow. i'm not exaggerating so i just decided well if they're available to me i'll just make them available to other people there you go <laughs> So we just started doing all sorts of things, and it really helped me get through being really sick and not feeling well. I think it's all about your attitude. That's just how I approach life. I mean, when I would go into chemotherapy, I would get dressed up in high heels and do my makeup because I felt like if I felt good, you know, if I looked my best, then I would feel better. And I would take desserts to my nurses and just tried to make what was, you know, a difficult situation a little bit lighter and right. I feel like people see you. I guess our words do matter, and they do, but our actions matter so much, and people are watching us live out our lives, and they go, oh, there's something different about her. And I don't want to God talk people to death. I just want to love people and then see that I love them and experience even like a tiny bit of God's love through that, through those acts, whatever they may be, so... And that's foundational. You know, Joyce Meyer a couple of years ago did this thing called the Love Revolution. And she talked a lot about how much we as Christians talk about stuff and do we do stuff. But how often do we just love other people, love them in the midst of their troubles, their mess, their mistakes, their heartache, their pain? Was the love from other people as much of a medicine to you as the chemotherapy was no question and honestly i feel like people should be jealous of what i experienced wow they really should because um the pain there's been a lot of it but the the love just completely completely covers it and and i think there's a sermon in that sentence right there it is (laughs) that'll preach sister (laughs) but you know i think regardless of let's say it's not cancer let's say it's like you said you get laid off from your job or your husband leaves been there or your mother commits suicide been there and all of that was within a five time year 
five-year span, you have to decide how you're going to respond to it. And that's the only thing that you can control. And, you know, I talk to people all the time that are just like, what do I do? And I'm like, you get up, you put one foot in front of the other, and you make a thousand decisions that day that put you in the direction that you want to go, that honor God, you know, that honors yourself, and that, um, you know, takes care of yourself. And so I just approached cancer that way. I really remember thinking this is a rubber meets the pavement moment, you know. I didn't let myself wear a wig because I felt personally like that was hiding. Wow. I wanted to really experience it, you know, and, and, and experience, oh, man, just people's looks from being sympathetic when mm-hmm. I didn't have hair. And then when my hair started growing back in and I was walking around in a buzz cut, the judge, <laughs> the judgmental looks that came. <laughs> um, There's this little punk rock girl walking in here. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I experienced all, all aspects of it, and I, I wouldn't change it for anything. I don't want to do it again. Let me just be clear about that. <laughs> God, could you take a note of that for us, please? <laughs> I just want to make a mental oh, yeah, a note. <laughs> Side note, I don't want to do it again, but <laughs> I'm glad that I got to experience it. And, uh, you know, I got new hair and it came back like wavy and different. And that was kind of fun. And, you know, I, I just tried to like look at the things that I got that were different that I didn't have before. So. So how is your how is your son coping with it at that point? Oh, man, he's a he's a mess. He's just oblivious, you know, just happy, joyful. Kids. Yeah. When I was. um he started kindergarten when I was in the thick of it, and mm-hmm. um, I still wanted to be part of all of that, you know, so I volunteered and did whatever, even though it just felt horrible, and I wasn't even supposed to be around little kids. But um, when we were at his school, he told me, he was in front of all of his friends, will you take off your um, your do-rag and show them your head? Your head looks so cool, Mom. <laughs> No, I'm not no. going to show my head. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far right here. But he was proud, you know, and I thought he would be freaked out. And I showed him pictures of women without with shaved heads yeah. before. He he didn't care. He was, you know, just okay with whatever and um, just rolled with it. That's just his personality. That's how God made him. He just rolls with it, everything, you know. So I'm thankful for that. And we... We had a lot of really special times together. He says that I was nicer when I was sick. I don't know about that. <laughs> but he's 13 now, so. Oh, my goodness. I know. Wow. We've, we've, really, we've really journeyed a lot together. So I think that I was nicer when I was sick because he wasn't a teenager at the time. <laughs> there you go. That's your answer to that. Exactly. Wow. But a minute ago, you mentioned a lot of things that happened to you mm-hmm. in a, a five-year span. Your mm-hmm. husband left. Your mother committed suicide. Yes. And you found out you had cancer and you were big old 28 years old. Yes. How did you deal with the other things, the husband leaving, the mother committing suicide? Because those two, right there, I think I'm going off the bridge at one one point. (laughs) I think the earlier things prepared me for cancer because um, my my divorce and my and my mother committed suicide happened within a year of each other. Mm-hmm. And um, I went and got some help. I could not manage my thoughts. And I realized there was so much even from my past that I'd never really talked about and worked through. And so I just went and got a counselor. And I'm not kidding. We spent like two hours a week together for probably a year and a half. And I'm not exaggerating, but yeah. we worked through it. We dug through it. We brought it into light, and we and it lost its power. And then I, I feel like I left with all of these tools to use when I'm coping with things. You know, 
when you feel this trigger come on and your tendency is to eat instead do this and instead of reacting to things I learned to be proactive and all of that was in my early 20s and so leading up to 28 I feel like I was better equipped because those things happened to handle to handle cancer I mean it wasn't my first rodeo you know what I'm saying so so I I had already had some traumatic experiences to pull from Um, and I just feel like Life is not supposed to be easy. You know, we're right. we're not meant to be comfortable here. We're not right. meant to be, you know, coddled necessarily. Um, I definitely thank God every moment that things are good and, and you know, but when they're not good, I have to also thank Him and, and recognize that that just leaves this longing in my heart for what's to come. When things are good, does that give you a sense of foreboding at all that... Oh, I know this can't last. It scares me to death. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm glad to hear that, but I'm the same way. I'm like, God, this is my shoes. Too good. My other shoe's about to fall off. I exactly. mean, I just I just remarried in September, okay. and oh, have mercy with the blessing that my husband is, and I am constantly like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, you know, when he goes to walk out of the house, I'm just like. Oh Lord, I'm just praying over him. Oh Lord, please do not let him get struck by a car or whatever. You know, and I laugh about it. I mean, I get a throbbing th- pain in my big toe, and the first thing in my th- mind is, "Well, you probably have bone cancer now." You know, <laughs> and I make a joke about it with myself internally because I know that it's completely irrational. All of those thoughts are irrational, right. so I just have to hold them captive, you know, and just tell them, "Nope." And I have a sense of humor, and I talk to God the same way, so. I can say to God, look, I know that this is completely irrational, and I'm not going to give it power, but I just need to talk about it, you know, because right now it's creeping in. Mm-hmm. So that's how I deal with it. It's not always, it doesn't always work, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good try. I definitely give it effort. <laughs> but I, you made a comment a, a couple of minutes ago that I think is really important for people to hear, be, be they Christians or not. But I think in a way, maybe especially for Christians, because we don't think that we should go to the shrink. But mm-hmm. but I will always say that my two psychologists saved my life because I was totally irrational about pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. And if I had not dug through a lot of that stuff before I got laid off and then unable to find a job for so long after that, which was really, I think, the bigger problem mm-hmm. because it was a job I hated and didn't have the courage to leave. And uh, so took some time off and then I'm like, God, but I can't find a job. What am I going to do? I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to be in Birmingham living under the First Avenue North Bridge <laughs> where I used to go minister. God, help me, please. What would you say to, to people in general, but also to Christians, about going and seeking professional help psychologically? I mean, I just know from my firsthand experience that it absolutely changed my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I believe that it was a tool that God used. Right. And it wasn't just one person, because I had to try on different psychologist or therapist Mm -hmm. until I found the ones that really helped me get to Mm -hmm. where I needed to be. But anytime I notice something in my life that's a pattern or that I feel out of balance or that I feel like there's something I'm just not breaking through, you know, I'm repeating the same thing, then I definitely go and seek somebody about figuring out ways that I can get through that. And I mean, of course, you know, 
prayer and all of that stuff. It all works together, I think. But I think, you know, there's no shame in it and nobody's even, nobody even knows. I mean, it's just a, it's like a, you know, a private best friend that you have well, mm-hmm. that you pay a little bit of money to talk to. <laughs> but 135. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> it's not tax deductible. But. Exactly. But, you know, I know for me personally, and I still, the man that helped to orchestrate the team of people that helped me to this day, like, I'll just randomly send him a thank you note and just yeah. tell him. I mean, I think that I have the clear mind and the peace in my heart and the freedom that I experienced today because he helped me. He saw something in me, and um, and he he was just committed to make sure I got the help that I needed. And uh, you can't put a price tag on that. So That's right. Exactly. Well, I have to ask you this because I love great love stories. As uh, the unmarried, three times engaged, almost murdered by a fiancé girl, um, not given up. I told a friend the other day, I said, you have to come to my wedding. She's like, you're getting married. And I said, probably by the time I get to the nursing home and you can come for a little nursing home wedding, you will have our little canes and everything. So tell me how you met this husband who seems to be the forever Oh, my goodness, definitely. Well, we dated for almost six years. I met him the year after I was diagnosed with cancer. Wow. And my hair was still just coming in, and I was terrified to tell him why I had really short hair. But it was the first, it was New Year's Eve of of 2006, and it was the first time I'd gone out with my friends. And we went out to dinner, and then we went dancing. Cool. And I saw him across the room. I would have never spoken to him because I'm just snob in places like that and so anyway he um we ended up he was talking to his roommate who was standing behind me and I thought he was talking to me and that's how our conversation started but you know we dated for a long time and we took it really really slow and we just um he had to work through things because I I was throwing all I mean here I am a single mom with a child and had just had cancer and you know didn't know at the time if I could have kids or not or more children and he just kind of had to, we had to work through that together. That's a lot for a 30-year-old man to take in. <laughs> it is. So, but, I mean, there's no question in my mind that, that I don't deserve it. Like, I just keep thinking all the time, like, I do not deserve this. But I'm so thankful. And um, he is just, I can't even explain it. He's just the nicest, kindest man and. um does all sorts of things to just make sure that I know that he appreciates me. And we're, and, you know, we're different in a lot of ways. And yet we, um, balance each other very much. And, um, I, I, we have the saying where we'll say, you know, here's to 50 plus years. Mm. I would be honored and is so excited if I got to spend that much time with him. And I know getting married at 36, it, it's probably unrealistic, but, can certainly ask for it. And <laughs> That's right. It. You sure can. Exactly. But I mean, every day that, that we get together is, is a blessing. And um, and we do hope to have kids. Uh, that is one thing that has changed since the beginning in my story. When I was first told I had cancer, I was told I would never have any more children and that my ovaries would die. And and then about a year into my treatments, um, my menstrual cycle started out of nowhere. And the doctors were just like, we can't explain that because medically speaking, nothing should have be working. And then here I am eight years later, and I have, you know, thumbs up and complete clearance by all of my doctors to to have a baby. And it won't, it's not risking my health. And, you know, I'm just, wow. like, it's very surreal. It's exciting. And, and going back to that scared word again yeah. and scary at the same time. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it's so cool. One day at a time. Well, you have to come back and talk to us about that. 
Definitely. When we have little one with us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so for people out there who are listening to us and who may be struggling, it could be cancer, it could be um, an abusive relationship, it could be job loss. Um, and I think you're kind of like me in that I don't want to god you to death. Definitely. I just want to love you. Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk about the God thing and, mm-hmm. and get through that. What would you say to people who are maybe at that suicide level today who just want to end it? I've, I've been there. And so um, that's why I hooked on to when you men- mentioned your mom about committing suicide. How, how do you talk to people and encourage them to hang on, that that is not even an option? Not an option. I mean, I think there's two sides to it. Um, my mom, if she would have just waited 24 hours I think things would have just seemed a little bit different. Maybe a little glimmer of hope more that she would have decided, you know what, I'm going to just hang on a little bit longer. And the other side of that are the people that love people that are suicidal or that have mental mental health issues is sticking in it with him, it with them, because there's nothing glamorous about it. That's right. Nothing glamorous That's about sure. it. You get nothing back in return. But to no matter what, stick in there with them. Even if it's just every day to say, I'm here with you. I'm not going anywhere. You know, even when they're thinking in their head, I want to run, 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 Mm -hmm. run, run. Because it's exhausting. It is exhausting. Um, For both sides, for the person that is struggling with mental health issues and for the person that that loves that person. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, There's no... There's no way around the exhaustion part of it, but just to stick in there. And, you know, I, I, I first was really angry at my mom, but um, I recognized that um, she was, you know, in a, in, a, in a difficult place. And I've forgiven her for the decision that she made. But, you know, it doesn't change the fact that she, you know, she robbed herself of years and years and years of joy with her kids and her grandkids and um you know i just it's one of those things that i i can't do anything about and it's so frustrating um but i still feel very connected to her a lot really and i think about her a lot and i see things in me that i that that i know that i got from her mm-hmm. and so i celebrate her in, in those ways you know really good i've had i've had two friends commit suicide and and i will say that's a universal feeling like especially with one in particular that i worked with um at the tv station who was one of my greatest mentors and friends and i he called somebody that night and i'm like why didn't you call me why didn't you call me i would have been in the car the Mm -hmm. next second i would have had the police there in a heartbeat and there's not a day that i don't think about him and what we lost in losing him um but we go on and we try to make better lives for ourselves so um as we close as you encounter the good what is your greatest point of joy now and what's next for you gosh my greatest point of joy is just the like mundane simple things Mm -hmm. about every day like i just I think I have this prayer conversation with God all throughout the day Mm -hmm. where I'm just like washing the dishes and I'm no joke. I'm like, thank you, God, that I can wash these dishes. And I lose perspective like everybody else. And I have to kind of get back on the on the train. But, you know, just the simple everyday mundane things. I am so, 
so thankful for those. And, and I found, find so much joy in those. And then just, you know, having lived enough life and gone through enough things now that I'm not afraid just to love people where they are, you know, right. and, um, gosh, where I see myself going next, or I just don't know. I mean, I, the sky's the limit and I'm excited to, to see what God has for me. And I'm going to try real hard to not always fear the other shoe falling off my foot. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. I understand. Rochelle, thanks so much for being with us today. We really do appreciate that. And and Rochelle has to has to go quickly because she has to have lunch with her husband. You guys do that when? Every Wednesday at eleven thirty. Okay, so so we gotta get her out of here for that. So <laughs> before we go though, just a reminder to check out bigbrainsmedia.com. You can find um, this show and several other shows that, that are right now really important or are always important to those of us who are Southerners. The Auburn Football Review as I as my producer Mark raises his eyebrows. So I can say also the Alabama Crimson Tide Review. You can find at bigbrainsmedia.com. You can find us at iTunes and uh, you can subscribe. So if you don't know when you can listen, you make sure you get it every week. It'll be downloaded to um, your device and you can also find us on Stitcher. So thank you so much for listening to us. We appreciate you. God bless you. Uh, and join us again. 